All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. My name is David Grilly. That is Harmon Dial. Our technical producer, the man at the controls, is Grady Sass. And as I mentioned, this is Canucks Conversation. We're coming to you live from the iconic Sheraton Wall Center in downtown Vancouver. Beautiful place to do our shows. And, you know, I like, I like, like everybody, I like working from home. I like doing the remote shows, but there's just something about being in the studio. And yesterday, especially, you and I joked. We didn't really have much of a show plan. That was like a, that was a vintage Canucks Convo episode where Faber would be busy and I wouldn't do any show prep. And then we would go in and have a great episode. We had hardly any prep for yesterday's show. And I thought it was a great episode. A lot of good riffing. It was a good time. And you just don't get that uh, when you do them from home. So it was a good episode yesterday. And similar today, not much prep done, at least for me. I haven't done much prep uh, for the show, but we have some good stuff. We have some good stuff on today's show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Just watching the wagon Canucks back at it. It's um, it's funny because outsiders will probably look at a game like that and go, the Canucks were outshot 38 to 26. You watch the tape back of their goals and oh, they had some bounces and the narrative is, oh, the PDO train keeps rolling. And yeah, it was to a certain extent, I can get where that comes from, but also this is where the numbers can be a little bit misleading because through the first period, the shots may have been relatively close, but I manually tracked 
the high danger chances the way you used to. You did the Q4K chances. Let's yeah, go. I did. And it was 10 nothing for Vancouver in the first period. And I didn't even count all the goals as high danger chances because some of them, for instance, the Ian Cole, Ian Cole goal to open the score. Anytime Jake that. Sanderson touches the puck, it's a high danger chance. Jake Sanderson's not bad. I think you're, you mean Thomas Shabbat. <laughs> Is Sanderson, two goals went off Sanderson. I know, but usually he's good. I oh. like Sanderson. Yeah, but two goals went off him last night is my point. But yes, the yeah. Ian Cole goal, you didn't count that as a high danger. Yeah, so it's like, my point is, I didn't even count all five goals as high danger looks, but the Canucks are just creating so much off the rush, so much off the forecheck. And yeah. the point I'm trying to make is, all right, it's 5 nothing, and sure, they had some bounces to result in five goals, but they dominated the first period, and ultimately, yeah, the Senators... They started to take over in the final 40 minutes, and yeah, the third period in particular wasn't great. But it doesn't matter if you're racking up shots and chances when when you're down five nothing. Like that that just makes sure it makes the numbers look not as bad at the end of the night. But the game was over at the end of the first period. Yeah, I looked at that game, and, and okay, let's let's break down the game before we do that. I need to tell you about our presenting sponsor because I forgot to do it. It's Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year and daily faceoff. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points in your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouthwatering jaws of defeat along with some fresh, never frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool fantasy game to win weekly prizes like the spicy chicken sandwich from the from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. No comment on my uh, game this week because I forgot to play it uh, on Monday because it was uh, New Year's Day, so I forgot to play it. I'll be back next week, and I'll have updates for you. But but this game, I looked at this game, Harmon, as the Canucks played a very, very strong opening 20 minutes. Like, Rick Talk called, their, called it their best period in about a month. Hard to disagree with that. Maybe their best period of the season. You'd have to go back and, you know, really think about every period they've played. But among their best, where you have an opponent in Ottawa who obviously is a bit of a lesser opponent. Um, You know, they're on the road. You're defending your home building. You had a horrible game against the Philadelphia Flyers that you're looking to bounce back from. You're looking to get off on the right foot right before you go on this long seven-game road trip. That was about as good of a start as we've seen the Canucks turn in this season. And look... It's similar to the conversation we had about, oh, in that game against the Panthers, when they had the lead, they started to let up a lot of shots against. Yeah, they're in cruise control. Like they, they were they were just looking to lock down the win. And look, I know if you're looking to lock down a five nothing victory um, or a five nothing lead after 20 minutes, if you play the way the Canucks did in those final 40 minutes of play, there's a good chance you're blowing that five nothing lead, which is ultimately why the conversation is shifting to that level where people are talking about yeah that's not a good final 40 minutes when i say people i mean rick talkett uh, and jt miller but i don't want to dissect it too too much because look you you had the lead five nothing after the first period and at that point you're just playing to close it out and look mission accomplished in terms of keeping your guys ice time low right like that that's important right before a road trip is keeping your guys ice time low the one thing i'll say is that i didn't like and i know talkett didn't like it either was how much post-to-post play Thatcher Demko had to have and how many high-danger chances he faced in that game where it was, you know, cross-crease saves and he's having to exert a lot of energy to make those saves. And look, he earned every single one of those 35 saves that he made last night. But ideally in a game like that, you want your goaltender to work less. So that's really my only criticism about the Canucks' final 40 minutes of play. I I don't know. I, I understand that if you're playing an opponent like 
um, you know, anybody in the Pacific division in the top half of the Pacific division, you're probably more at risk of blowing that five, nothing lead. If you play the way the Canucks did, but I'd also argue that the Canucks would probably try a little bit harder if it wasn't the Ottawa senators trying to mount that comeback against them. Absolutely. And my overall point was just to say that I think a lot of people outside of Vancouver, especially a lot, a lot of analysts that are sort of trying to look under the hood at this team's numbers and get a gauge of what exactly are they. That, that to me is just a perfect representation of on, on paper. Yeah. Their PDO after a game like that looks high. Uh, And for those skeptics, it doesn't, like win like that doesn't really change their mind about what whether the Canucks are real or not. But given the context of how the game unfolded, the insane lead they built early, my point is just that the numbers are misleading when you go when you go up that heavily. Uh these quotes from JT Miller and Rick Tockett. We'll start with Rick Tockett. He said, we didn't play the right way. We take the two points, but it's a learning lesson for us. I did not like our 40. The final 40 minutes of play, of course. I hope our guys didn't either. But hey, we won the game, loved our first period. So that's basically my assessment of the game. Tockett wasn't super ecstatic post-game about the way his team played. Talked about the seven-game road trip and all that sort of stuff. A lot of quotes in the stanchies as Wyatt Arndt was at the game uh, last night. But this one from JT, I really liked. He said, I feel like we totally just sat on a five-goal lead after the first period. Uh, somewhere if we're going to take steps as a team we need to play the second and third like it's nothing nothing I thought that we played our we played worse after the first period it's nice to enjoy the win but you know it's kind of been going the same all year we're going to evaluate ourselves honestly and we didn't play very well after the first period great honesty from JT Miller and Tarkett said he hopes that his guys didn't like their final 40 minutes of play uh, and it sure sounds like the Canucks players didn't like the way they played in the final 40 minutes of play and I think if you're a Canucks fan, you look at it and yeah, you just said numbers are misleading. So if you're looking at the numbers, you're probably going to say, oh, this is troublesome. But couple all of that context that you just mentioned in the opening segment here and the context of how the players and the coach felt about it. It's similar to the conversation I was having with you yesterday, Harmon, about how it's not like Canucks management is looking at this team and saying, yeah, they're legit. Look at look at everything we've done. They're a legit team. Like even this win, the Canucks aren't looking at it. The players and the coach aren't looking at it and saying, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. We won. Of course, we're happy with that. And it's all just about raising the bar in the city and with this team. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. They're also learning how to win, which when you're a team that builds up a cushion in the standings, like this core has never been in this position ever. Even in the one year they made the playoffs uh, in 2019-20, they were scratching and clawing. They were sort of in, in that big, pack that big pile contending for a playoff spot they've never been in a position where they enter the christmas break near the top of the nhl standings uh they've never been in this position where they're leading the pacific they've probably never been in a position where you add the context of where they are in the standings with oh we're beating up on a bottom feeder five nothing after the first period so i think this is part of the growing process the the maturity the evolution is hey this is a brand new situation for them to be in because in years past it's usually the other way around where they they've dug themselves a massive hole uh, and they're the ones trying to climb out of it Grady you said we have some breaking news um can you jump in here you you have the info we don't (laughs) I'm trying to look for it I actually for some reason can't see it yeah Linus Carlson has been called up from Abbotsford 
Okay. So Philip DiGiuseppe, they said he'd likely be out for some time, and that's your call up for that. Okay. Um, I find it interesting. PG left with what looked like a non-contact injury. So in any sport, you're always worried about that. Uh, Post game talks that he still had to speak with the doctors, but that it looked like he'd be out for a little bit. So we will see what that means. Uh, the main thing it means is that Nils Amon, who didn't play last night, Nils Huglander, um, Andre Kuzmenko, all the guys in that conversation of, yeah, you might be the next healthy scratch. Looks like they're safe for now, but Talkett also said, you know, the guy who gets called up and we now know it's Carlson, um, the guy who gets called up might end up playing at some point. So we'll see. Um, Talkett said he liked Hoaglander's forechecking last night, but wasn't extremely complimentary of his game. He, he did say that he thought his game got better as the game went on. So I found that a little bit interesting. We'll kind of see um, what it means, but it's just like the way Hoaglander was playing and the way he was being talked about just two weeks ago, it's different. It's different now. And I'm looking uh, looking to see what that player is going to be able to do uh, in St. Louis tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, there's work for him to sort of do there. And I mean, we know the Philly game. We've talked about it before. It, it wasn't his best in terms of the neutrals on turnovers. And even though he ended up playing, you know that him being the extra in practice um, over the holidays was intentional. It was to to send a message. So for Hoaglander now, he's sort of back in that mode of, okay, I can deliver secondary offense and my speed, my ability to win battles is an asset, but there's still work to be done in terms of earning the coach's um, trust. It looked like he had made some headway, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, he would be out there playing late in games, defending leads, but he just wasn't able to fit on the Miller line, I think is the um, is the biggest sort of issue that's, happened because an opportunity was right there and it's still there now with mm -hmm. Giuseppe being um, out in terms of that left wing spot but he hasn't been able to grab it and, and run with it okay uh any final thoughts on the game before we move on not on the game specifically okay um did you want to say anything about the road trip i i did want to talk about the thing we prepped about that's right we did a little bit of prep that's kind of the question that arose from last night because I saw people throwing it out there on Twitter and I wanted to ask you it. Who are the real Canucks? Because last night, like, I don't know, I saw some people being like, well, they just won another game. They're up to 24 wins on the season. Is this them? And like last night wasn't indicative, I don't think, of who the real Canucks are. I think it maybe added a piece of the puzzle, but I feel like that piece of the puzzle was already there and maybe it was just a tracing and now we actually found the piece. I don't know what I'm saying at this point, but... I don't know. Like that game didn't tell me a ton, but I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on who this team really is. So Harmon, who are the real Canucks? Well, you said you think yeah, you have a pretty good grasp. I do. I think so. Elaborate. Well, I've kind of said it over the past past few months. Like they started the season so hot in October and then they played a ton of games in November, started to get, you know, they, they there was all the conversation about fatigue and all this other stuff about um, you know, the November schedule being so difficult. And we kind of talked about, especially with Talk It, we talked about how well good teams play through that and good teams learn how to play tired. And you talk to Ian Cole, a guy who's been on so many playoff teams for so many years, 
And he was really critical of the team during that time. He said, like, we need to learn how to play tired. It's not an excuse at this point. It can't be an excuse uh, in the NHL. So they played 500 hockey during November. Then December, the schedule lightens up, and all of a sudden, they're back to playing a lot better. Then there's different issues with the power play and stuff. So they are a team, I think, that can beat bottom feeder teams with little effort, as we saw last night. And I think we knew that all season. I think we've known that. But they're also a team that I don't think yet can be considered a Stanley Cup contender. Like, they are not that elite-level team yet. Maybe that's not the right word, but the upper echelon, where you have teams like the Rangers, the Bruins, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. I think LA is knocking on the door. LA has been very good this season, but I think they're knocking on the door. I think they're closer to being in the Canucks tier than they are being in that tier with, um, you know, uh, the, the defending cup champions in Vegas, right? I still think that's where the Canucks are. I don't think they're a cup contender as has been thrown around uh, a few times recently. Yeah, I'd agree. I think they have more to prove. Um, the one thing you have to keep in mind is they've had practically everything go right to this point for them to be in the position now where they have the best goal differential in the NHL. They're fourth best in the league in terms of point percentage. And what I mean by that is, first of all, your core players have all been healthy, right? Yes. Suitors missed some time. Yes. Susie's missed some time, but I'm talking your actual core best players have not had any extended absences, which is not going to happen every single season, right? So you've been fortunate in that way. You also have a bunch of players scoring at career high rates that may not last, right? Like Brock Besser has been in the Rocket Richard um, yeah. race. How many seasons has he played in the league and never been at that level before? Yeah. Right. So he's a guy that that type of elite form may not last. Sam Lafferty's close to a 20 goal, 40 point pace, which he's never been that. Uh, Dakota Joshua's already at nine goals, which, yeah, he's breaking out, but I don't know if he's going to be that level all the time. Um, Bluegrass got 13 points in 23 games, which over an 82 game season would be a 46 point pace. He's never been that yep. over his long NHL career. Uh, and the other aspect too, is they haven't quite proven themselves against top teams yet yep. in terms of the LA's and in, in the Vegas, uh, type opponents, which is a huge, I think, um, test for them over the second half is how are they going to look over those types of opponents? And it's, it's a great test, not only in terms of giving this market an indication of, okay, where do, they, where do they actually stand among the top teams in the West? But also, it's going to be extremely consequential in terms of those are four-point games in determining who's going to win the Pacific Division and get an easier round one matchup. So you're already kind of going to get an answer before the playoffs, if that, if that sort of makes sense. Um and look, it is a really wide range in terms of trying to figure out and ballpark where the Canucks are at in terms of the best teams in the NHL. They're probably somewhere between like the sixth to 12th best, which is a really wide range. And the second half, I think, against more difficult opponents, um, if they run into more adversity in terms of injuries or certain guys slowing down, yeah. um, and of course, what they do at the deadline those factors I think will determine where exactly they sort of land within that wider range. I, I mentioned that's at least how I'm looking at it. I'm trying to figure out if they're as close as some people seem to think they are like if they're, if we agree basically that they're not quite at that upper echelon because they haven't yet proved it against those top teams. If they're not quite there and they're, they're knocking on the door 
can they kick open the door by going out and getting Jake Gensel by going out and getting Elias Lindholm? Like, does that push them to that next level? Another thing to consider, Harmon, we have not yet seen Carson Soucy in the lineup while Nikita Zadorov is also there. And I think that's one thing that, like, Zadorov hasn't been a world beater by any means, but, like, Myers wasn't playing shutdown pair minutes until Zadorov got here, and now he is. So now you have new value in Tyler Myers to an extent. Now you're adding Carson Soucy to this defense group. And that's another question that we're going to ask later. It's kind of in the anyone else section a bit more. But like we have not yet seen this team with Carson Soucy. So it's almost like they're adding a defenseman to this team True, again. But you're not going to like your entire blue line is not going to stay healthy over the course of the season. Like I get sure. what you're saying, but like inevitably it's rare both up front and, and on the back end. Like I'm, that's the best case scenario of, oh, we've got this blue line right now and we're adding Carson Soucy to it. Yes, but more likely than not, somebody else is going to get banged up and then you're going to be like, okay, well, if, you know what? You know what, what it's like? It's like for the longest time up until now, we never got to see, you know, Suter and, and Bluger both in the yeah, lineup yeah, yeah. along the centers. And now we're finally seeing it. That's the best case scenario. But as we saw with, you know, PDG just going down, uh, the other night, like you're, and his injury doesn't really matter. But again, I just think Jeez. Canucks have been fortunate there. Like, I'll give you an example. Like the Rangers, um, they're playing at this incredible pace, and they've had Adam Fox miss ten games. Uh, Philip Hedel, their second line center, has has missed all but ten games. Um, he's going through concussion issues right now. Capo um, Caco has only played twenty games, so it's like Canucks haven't had that type of okay. Okay. Run, right? Valid. Or like yep. the Leafs had three of their top six defensemen out of, of the lineup at one point. Um, Boston uh, had McAvoy out for eight games, some of it because of injury, some of it because of suspension. And Grizzly, who also plays um, top four minutes, has only played 22 games, right? Like just yep. those are just quick examples that come so, to mind. They haven't had like. Yeah. So, so you're saying that the Canucks aren't yet there because those elite teams remained elite even when they lost top talent and look I, I don't think either of us are going to disagree uh, on the fact that the Canucks might look a little different if they lost their equivalent to those players that you just mentioned well, I'll also say this like what what when we're having this discussion of what exactly are the Canucks it's a moving target like I'm not sitting here right now saying oh this is definitely what they are like I've given you a wide range of mm-hmm. okay like my initial sort of spitballing it uh, back of the napkin type look at it is uh, maybe somewhere roughly, um, without having done a deep dive, maybe somewhere between the sixth and the twelfth best team um, in the league on true talent. Uh, they like again what they do at the deadline. Like that's, I don't know the answer to that. You mentioned like oh if they add another like Gensel or Lindholm type piece, um, like what does that do in changing the complexion and the upside of this team? Like I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm honestly. I'm buying in a little too much, maybe. You also have to factor in that those teams that they're in the mix with are also going to be adding pieces at the deadline, right? So, but that's my is point. Gradually get better. But here. how many pieces are there to go around, Grady? Like how many? Who who's going? Well, like, who is Vegas going to add if the Canucks go get? And, I don't know. And we Lindholm. live in the Gary Bettman parody world, where how many teams are truly out of it? Like there's so many teams in that mushy middle it's going to take closer to the deadline until we actually see the true sellers. Now there's a few, you know, Chicago, San Jose types, yeah. but like, 
you know, how many players on those teams are actually going to be difference makers or an upgrade at depth for those contenders. Right? I would say there's like, and I'm just spitballing. I, have, I need to look closer, but I would say there's like three difference makers available up front at the deadline. Like there are three difference makers that the Canucks are going to want to at least be in on. And I think including Adam Henrique in that conversation is probably pushing it as well. Yeah, yeah. Like to make it four, that would be kind of pushing it. But the big one for me, I've said it a few times and I'm getting more and more increasingly on it on the Elias Lindholm train. Like go get Elias Lindholm. And I'm going to answer my own question, Harmon, about what, what are the Canucks if they go get Elias Lindholm? I think they're pushed into that upper echelon of teams. I really do. I think if you go get Elias Lindholm or whoever, like a, a, a guy who can play on Elias Patterson's wing, that's what I'm looking for. Or a guy who can play center as I've, I've talked about Elias Lindholm so, so many times. Um, but I just, I look at it and I say, okay, if you can go get Elias Lindholm, you're getting a guy who can play with Elias Patterson and theoretically make Elias Patterson even better. A guy that was dominating at the start of the season that we've seen dominating in years past. And again, second shout out in, in as many days, uh, Tyson Cole, our guy at Canucks Army, he's working on a deep dive right now. And we were talking about the idea this morning. And the argument is that Elias Patterson's line mates haven't just been average. They've been on the wrong side. Like they have been bad all season long. His line mates have not been enough for Elias Patterson. And at the start of the season, he was kind of, dragging them into the fight and just lately he hasn't gotten any help and I think last night was a really easy night to kind of see that with your own eyes rather than diving into analytics on it was Elias Pettersson's looked on recently he looked really good yesterday as well two goals um obviously I know one of them was a big assist to Jake Sanderson there but like Elias Pettersson looked on last night and that line didn't look good even though he looked very very good as an individual I think it's becoming painfully obvious that this this team needs to go get a winger for Elias Pettersson I think it I think it became even more clear last night yeah and it becomes really interesting because the idea of okay are we going to make a big push for one of these one of the biggest names a Lindholm or a Gensel the thing you have to try and weigh is not just where the where are the Canucks at and are they a contender but also big picture, you you almost have to do, I think, a study at the history of teams that have gone out and let's say paid a first round pick for uh, Timo Meyer. For a re- well, no, like they New Jersey kept Meyer. Yeah. So that's a little bit different, but paid a first round pick for a rental. Oh, sure. Okay. Sorry. I thought I thought you were getting at extending them once they my apologies yeah. continue. And I mean, look, in some cases, the idea of chasing a rental has worked out. I mean, Vegas picked up like Barbashev was a pure, pure rental. They win the cup and then they extend him, right? So in some cases it has worked out, but you go, you go back over the last five years and there, there are a lot of, a lot of actual like legit cup contenders that gave up, a, you know, let's say a first got, got a player back rental just for one playoff run. And for whatever reason, it didn't work because it's, it's so like this idea that anything can happen in the playoffs, it somewhat does apply, especially in the first two rounds where think about how many kicks at the can it took a team like Tampa Bay yeah. to finally push through and win. How many kicks at the can it took Washington to finally win uh, how long St. Louis was consistently in the playoff picture before they finally sort of broke through. And 
that's where team like some teams have t- have taken a different approach to okay we're a cup contender what are we going to do at the deadline where a team like carolina for instance is completely unconventional where they don't make big deadline splashes uh colorado when they won the cup they did a little bit differently where they gave up future assets but they tried to target players that they could keep right or or to or Lekkonen, for instance was like this middle six energetic um, sort of play driver for the Canadians. They, they went out and poached him great pro scouting job because he's, you know, broken out. He ended up scoring eight goals and 14 points in 20 games in a playoff run. And last season at 51 points in 64 games, uh, they signed him and he was a pending RFA and extended him long-term. Right. So it's like, is that type of opportunity can you think outside of the box and find that type of player? Because Lekkonen is a great example in that year of people weren't talking about him as a trade deadline acquisition. Everybody was like, okay, the abs need another winger. They need extra scoring. They're too top heavy. They went a little bit outside of the box and targeted a guy paid, paid a, you know, a hefty price for Lekkonen, but ended up being worth it because he was a great stylistic fit and they got to keep him um, for multiple years. And now he's still a fixture in their top six. I wonder, man. I know we have to get close to the deadline, but I, I saw this tweet. And we'll get to anyone else. Um, No, actually. Yeah, bring up the tweet. Yeah, thanks, Grady. Uh, this tweet from Chris Johnson, who I found out writes at The Athletic because of this tweet. Uh, he wrote this in The Athletic. He speculated that the Avs are the most logical destination for Elias Lindholm. When it comes to price, he speculated that a first-round pick and Bowen Byram should do it. Yeah, you think? <laughs> a first-round pick and Bowen Byram should do it? So... My point, Harmon, the, the, the reason I bring this tweet up is, is A, I don't think the price is going to be that high, and you and I talked off air. I, you agree with me that the price probably isn't going to be that high for Elias Lindholm. But when you look at what the Canucks would have to give up for Elias Lindholm, I just, I don't know, because I find it so interesting based on, well, do you think you're going to be able to extend him? Do you want to extend him? Do you want to extend Jake Gensel? Like, are you going to be able to do it? And off air, you and I were talking about the idea of shipping out Garland and Kuzmenko in the off season, and then that's where you get your ten million from, and you can afford basically whoever you want when it comes to the wingers. I just, I just find that price. Obviously, I think it's too high. I'm just, I know we're still a couple months out. Trade deadline is March eighth. I just find it interesting to start thinking about okay, what would it actually cost for the Canucks to go get this guy? And I know it's too early. I know it's too early. Yeah, it's. To me, they still have to prove a little bit more. And you also have to think about, okay, if you are going to, let's say, acquire Gensel or Lindholm, and the idea is, okay, we can we can trade for this guy and then ship, let's say, Garland and Kuzmenko out and then um, re-sign them. You're, philosophically, you're kind of changing the sort of um, cap structure of your team. Because you would then have another player making a boatload of money. Mm-hmm. Plus, Pedersen would then be going from 7.35 to whatever monster number yep. he's going to make yep. on his next deal. Philip Peronik goes from a team-friendly number, I think he's below $5 million right now, to whether it's a number that starts with 7 or Frank really thinks that it could be a cap hit that starts with 8. Yep. Um, I mean, Miller makes 8. So then all of a sudden, yeah, the cap's going to go up, so you do end up with a little bit more flexibility, but you so end up with a really OEL top bio heavy. Next yeah. Year. The next, next year. Yeah. yeah. You end up with a really top heavy cap structure. And this was the conversation that you and I had during, and you were more of a guest host on the show at that time, but 
when it was like, well, they can't pay Bo Horvat, JT Miller, and Elias Pettersson. You're not going to lock up eight plus million in three centers. Like you, you're not going to do that. So you're right. Like what's Elias Lindholm going to cost on the open market? Because that helps you kind of figure out your answer. And the fact that, yeah, like, you, like I said, you've got the OEL buyout in years 2025 and 2026, right? To worry about. You also have Myers and Zadorov coming off the books and you effectively would have to replace, yeah. you know, five, six defensemen, which can be done, but you know, it's more money that you just have to the more we have around. The more we have these conversations, the more I just go back to all of the conversations that we've had about how important it is that like Tom Willander hits, right? Like the guys on their ELC come in and can actually be good or even they're like second contracts. Like how, how huge is it for this team if they can walk, walk away from Connor Garland and then Vasily Puck holes and turns into a play driving winger overnight. But that's the thing, like, Gar- see that that's philosophically it's so interesting because yeah then garland becomes a luxury you can't afford and like if you took out garland from this lineup like what would happen to the third line i don't think that third line is anywhere close to what it is right now and all of a sudden it changes the complexion of the team because what's really clicking for the canucks right now is that they have all four lines can contribute the top six as a night off the third and fourth lines are able to pick up the slack but then if you're going to go out and you're going to target another big name and you're going to decide that, okay, um, Garland's a, a luxury at some point, then you're, you're really, really top heavy. And then you end up with like the whole Leafs debate where it's like you have so many high priced forwards and yeah, those are stars. Stars are really hard to find, but then your depth is constantly, there's constant turnover and you know, it's, it's you see sometimes wonder if you have enough secondary scoring and whether those third and fourth lines can be good enough for you to actually go in a deep playoff run. Okay. But at least now though, they have guys like our Steve Baines, you know, hopefully Linus Carlson here that they have something in the farm. They could potentially slot in now, how well will they actually do and how much of an impact remains to be seen. But we saw in past years, like there was nothing down there other than, you know, 28-year-old, 29-year-old AHL veterans, guys like Sheldon Dries, and no disrespect to Sheldon Dries, but it's just nice to actually have organizational depth down in the minors and even down the middle with the big club. Like, look at Suter and Bluger right now, how much of an impact they've had, right? Like, this, the center depth on this team has, hasn't been this good probably since, you know, 2011 heyday. You need to draft and develop well. <clears throat> and speaking of which, like, we were talking about Jake Gensel. Like, do you remember when Jake Ensel broke into the league? This is a third-round pick that was basically a nobody in the AHL. He comes up and he plays with Sidney Crosby, and now he's, like, this awesome winger. Like, he was basically a nobody when he came up. Like, I don't even know what the Canucks' equivalent of that would be. Like, I don't know. Like, they don't even have a third-round pick in Abbotsford right now, do they? Like, I'm trying to think. Maybe Aiden McDonough? Was the Canucks- Klimovich a third? No, he's second, second round. Second, yeah. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, sure, Klimovich might yeah, be a fine not, example. He's not going to be that. Hey, you never know. Maybe in the rafters <laughs> no. next to Pavel Bure. Who knows? Um, <laughs> Klimovich might, you know, it might be the example, the comparable of like, yeah, sure, we had to walk from this guy because he was going to cost too much. But hey, here's Danilo Klimovich, who we've now turned into a winger that can play with Elias Pettersson. Bad example. Bad example. Like, that is That's the equivalent of Jake Gensel is what I'm trying to say. The Canucks need yeah. to go out and get their own Jake Gensel. And I think that's what this management regime is kind of bringing from their time in Pittsburgh. Like this was the management regime with Rutherford, of course, as the president. 
that went and did that in Pittsburgh, right? Like that's yeah. what they did. They went out, they drafted a guy like Gensel in the third round. They had a strong development system in Wilkes Bar Scranton. And then he comes up and he's playing with Sidney Crosby. That's what this team needs. And they had good college free agents that they hit on. And, exactly. You know, they have McWard and Hirose down in the minors. And that remains to be seen how much of an impact they can make. But, uh, you know, it's drafting is obviously key. But if you can find some value in the margins of NCAA and European free agents, and look, that's where they found Kuzmenko, right? Uh, you know, guy like Linus Carlson there too. So, yeah, I mean, totally. The, the, you need to have that. You need to have that as an organization. Like Karamaki, I think, is going to be a huge kind of, you know, we always see the contract value per dollar production yeah. with the ELCs. I think, you know, based on what we've seen this year in the SHL and the World Juniors, like he's going to step in and put him on a line with Pedersen. Um, the amount of shots he takes too, right? Like think about right now, Kuzmenko last year, all those goals he had, he wasn't taking a lot of shots. Whereas you put a guy like Karamaki in there, he's going to be firing the puck. And you know, Pedersen will find him in those soft spots. With Alvin saying that they hope he starts in, or that he spends a year in Abbotsford, like he's going to be a really good litmus, litmus test for this development staff that we've thrown a ton of praise toward, right? Like, can they turn him into a legit top six NHL player? Right. That's that's the litmus test uh, for this development staff is what can you do with this actual high end talent that, you know, we're talking about as this uh, great winger. What can you do with him uh, if he spends some time in Abbotsford? Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. We're gonna quickly get to this uh before anyone else, and it is just a quick little segment about the All-Star game all-star game picks i wanted to get to it uh and this segment is brought to you by our friends at four winds brewing family owned and operated in delta home to the four winds light light lager a crisp clean and easy drinking beer a beer for everyone a perfect beer for before after or during the game 
or the trade deadline, whenever you want to have one. A Four Winds Light Lager uh, is a great beer to have on hand. Ask for Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Okay, so today's Wednesday. Tomorrow, the NHL is going to announce their pick. One, one player from each team is going to be selected for the All-Star game. That means 32 All-Stars are going to be picked tomorrow, and then the remaining 12 are going to be voted in by fans. And our friend... Dom Lashishin, I saw him on Twitter talking about this, about how people are like, oh no, the one player from each team rule is actually really cool because I want to watch this player. Or I want to watch this player. And he had a great reply. He said, leave Kale McCarr at home so that some guy from the Sharks gets to go. Like, oh think my about goodness. that. The Sharks have to pick an, oh, think about, about that. Think about this, Harm. Mikel Granlin, you are an all-star. We are probably going to see a world where Nazem Kadri. And Trevor, Trevor Martin's our guy. Oh, Blake this. Coleman. Blake Coleman or Nazem Kadri yeah, oh. are going to get picked for the All-Star game over, like, I don't know, Philip Hironik is probably more deserving than those guys. And he's, like, bottom of the list of who should be there in Vancouver. Well, well, that's why no one takes the All-Star Exactly my next. Seriously. I was just going to say, it's gimmicky things like that. Like, you reward the best players. You want to market your league with, you know, the national spotlight on it. Put the players that deserve to be there. Don't put the guys that are just, oh, we play on a crappy team and we have to have equal representation. No, 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 no. No, it's can't stupid. Stand it. It's it's silly. It's it's just you, you shouldn't do that. And I mean, look, like, I just I don't know. I don't know, Harmon. I don't know if it's worth messing like and look, I know it's crazy to talk about integrity at the all-star game and the all-star weekend, but it's not worth it. Like, it's not worth having Mikel Granlin there while JT Miller, uh, Elias Patterson, potentially, Thatcher Demko, Brock Besser, and Philip Roenick all sit at home on their couches while Mikel Granlin whiffs on his ninth shot on the accuracy competition, the accuracy shooting competition. He hasn't hit one target. And then you have to realize right then and there, hmm, this guy probably shouldn't be here. Maybe he's not an all-star. Well, it's also why, like, I would love there to, like, when you're debating players, for instance, it'd be so cool if they had done it actually by merit and you could say like, oh, this guy's a five-time all-star. How are you going to debate that? But if you say that now, people are like, what? He's a fi- Who cares? If who's five, who's five the most obscure? All-star? And I'm asking the chat. We're going to get to anyone else soon. Who's the most uh, Who's the most obscure all-star you can think of? Like in recent years John with Scott. this rule. No, not John Scott. It doesn't count. John Scott is awesome. That was a great story. Also, he's your coworker. Yeah. I don't know if you knew that. He's in our podcast network. But anyways. That was a gimmick. Yes, it was. It was. I'm talking like not one of those. Grady, your oh. mic's on, by the way. Um, Jordan Everly during the Kraken first year. Yes. What What did he put up in terms of what was his production when he got He finished selected? the season with 44 points. <laughs> That's Sam Lafferty's music. <laughs> I actually want to, I think I tweeted about it complaining. Let, let me see. That's what ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So this is, I tweeted this in <laughs> January of 2022. Yeah. Jordan Eberle with 24 points in 33 games will be an all-star. Nazem Kadri, who's fourth in the NHL with literally double the points, 48, is not an NHL all-star. So, so here's the funny thing. Kadri gets snubbed in the season. He's super deserving of it. 
right? When he's in Colorado and putting up those crazy numbers. And now he might have a legitimate shot at it in this season when he has 26 points in 37 games. He's got 10 wow. goals and 16 assists on the season. Make it make sense. Please. And he might be the guy that the, the league announces tomorrow. In my opinion, if you if you do they announce the goalies tomorrow as well? Like can I don't goalies know. be the picks? I, I don't know either. I don't know how it all do works. Do you guys remember Vol- it should be Markstrom is my is my take do from get- uh with Calgary? It should be Markstrom. Yeah, probably. Do you guys remember vote for Rory? Rory Fitzpatrick? Or were you guys still in diapers? No, I don't remember no. that. Oh the someone I, I remember the hearing about remember. it. Like I didn't live through it. I yeah. have heard of it. I think there was one in Buffalo too with Zegmus Gergensen yes, a few years ago. Where I remember it's just that. like Fans rallied to get like a random player, which Rob Scuderi. I, I have more time for that than just saying, hey, you know, Mikel Granlin, you're going Jordan Everly, you're in because we need someone from your crappy ass team. But it's supposed to be fun. Where's the I like, fun in that? I like what they're doing with the new skills competition. Yes, I'll give them credit for that. It actually yeah. does look intriguing. Yeah, that's going to be cool. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I I I just I'm looking forward to correctly predicting uh, Elias. It's better than the tournament. This should. How okay? So how many players? Figuring. We should probably know this. How many players per division? Uh, what do you mean? Like they send you know each x amount of players. Well, there's gonna be one from each team. Okay. Right, and then there's gonna be twelve Fan selected votes. after that. Yeah. Okay. As a vote in. Get so, Quinn here. You know, Quinn so will send, probably be send all yeah. those Canucks you just mentioned. It's McDavid. It's Drysidel. Probably Zach Hyman, Kempe, Hyman. You think yeah, Hyman's getting oh, in? Dude, have you seen unreal this year? So Hyman and Drysdale get on the fan been vote. Unreal. I know, I know, full, I know. But if, credit to no, 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 listen, listen. If you have twelve players to add total, right? How does Zach Hyman get in on the fan vote? Because I think you're gonna have all the yeah, Oilers fans right. voting for Drysdale. No. Yeah. Yeah. And again, again we none of us know how the, how, the, how the fan voting actually works. I well, we think, want to complain about it anyway. But I just think in years past, like we haven't really seen three from the same team, have we? Unless it's the host team, right? Yeah. I mean, anyone on the Ducks off the No. Well, Sharks, one player's no. going to go off the I know, ducks. but That's I'm just point. saying on merit, yeah. not this gimmicky. Yeah, crap. yeah, yeah. I don't know. Flames probably Markstrom. So then what are we at right there? We're probably close to 12. Yeah, exactly. It's funny because on talent, you could argue that the Canucks could have like five. Yeah, yes. that's that's what I'm saying. Like, send a whole lineup. Half the Pacific team <laughs> should just be Vancouver. Yeah. I mean, it would be, and that's the thing. That's the thing. If you go on merit and you go off point totals and all that sort of stuff, like they have the best goalie in the Pacific. Easy. And he's probably not going to go, which is fine because I know the goalies well, hate going to eight, eight in hell, but he's injured and they're in a timeshare with uh, Logan Thompson. But yeah. yes, you're right. Still don't know. Yeah, I still yeah. put. I still Demko. read Demko. Stanley higher Cup than... champion Aiden Hill. <laughs> yeah, put Demko Where's behind he from? that defense. Alberni Valley, something like that. Team Canada starter Aiden oh. Hill <laughs> with Tristan Jari as the backup uh, or Carter Hart. Carter Hart would be David Riddich. This one from Mr. Joker. This is great. Yes, David, David Riddich made the All Star. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's move on to anyone else. Presented by our friends at DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get involved in his up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. Wait, what? 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you use code NATION25. That's all capital letters, NATION, and the numbers 25. For 25% off and zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more on the DoorDash app. All for valid in Canada. Subject change. Terms do apply. Let's get some anyone else in here. What do we got? 
I, I we had some earlier that I wanted to get to, and we had a lot of good ones yesterday. And I felt bad because we'd cut the segment quite short. A uh, lot of really good um, interaction in the YouTube. By the way, so. quickly, our man Jeff Patterson, the senior writer at Canucks Army Quad, saying it's not by division this year with the player draft. It's thirty-two plus twelve others into four teams. Because remember, they're doing the right. That's right. That's right. So Which I like more. I actually like yeah. that more. That's cool. Phil Kessel going to be last again? He's not even. Old. I wonder who would be the last pick this year. Mikael Granlin. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's got to be someone who shouldn't actually be the last pick. I know. I wonder. A Brad Marchand. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's I don't even one. know if he's been good. I don't think he's been good enough to get voted in this year. Uh, he's been, he's been, he's been okay. Solid. But who's, oh, yeah, he's got 33 Pasternak. points in 36 games. Not good yeah. enough. It's going to be like Pasternak and. All right. I'm going to shut up and get some questions in here. Yeah. Get to do that. Um, that sounded aggressive. But yeah. Thanks, Grady. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> it's only myself. Yeah. Uh, okay. This one. I like this from Jesse C. Rick Tockett's going to be furious if he's listening to the show. Jesse C said, Is playing a full 60 minutes almost a unicorn in the sense that it's unrealistic to expect that for more than a couple games a season? I know I wish we had Tockett on the show because I think we'd get an emphatic no right now. But I, you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to try and go into the coach's mind a little bit because I think if you ask Rick Tockett that question, I don't know why I think this, but I think this. I think if you asked him that question, he would say, yeah, sure, it's fine to think that, but how you manage those other minutes when you're not at your best really matters. Like, yeah. those man- those minutes where you're not playing a full 60 minutes, those 10, 20 minutes, or whatever you, however many minutes, what are you doing in those minutes? Are you compounding every single mistake you make? Are you making Thatcher Demko go east-west three times on the same play? Is that what's happening? Because that's not okay. If you're an upper echelon NHL team, that's not okay. I think what matters is what you're doing when you're not at your very best. Because you're not going to be at your best for a full 60 minutes. Exactly. But it doesn't how exist. bad are you? How bad are you in those 10 minutes? That's what matters more, in my opinion. And the next uh, full 60 minutes will be the first ever full 60 minutes played. Like that's such a hockey cliche, coach speak. You know, but I'd also argue, I'd also argue that what I just described about limiting your mistakes in those 10 minutes where you're not on counts as playing a full 60 minutes. Like, I think yeah. when we hear, yeah. when we hear teams like last night, when they said, yeah, we played 20 minutes of that game and we aren't happy with our final 40. Yeah. They were bad in that final 40. Like they were compounding a lot of mistakes. They were doing a lot of things that I just said. And that's why the coach isn't happy with that. They, I just, it's an interesting conversation. They gave the Sens a glimmer of hope, right? Especially when they got that second goal. It's like, okay, they've been on their heels here. If we can get that next one, then the momentum's really changed. And I know score effects has a play into that. Quickly, just Andrew Christensen on, on YouTube had um, a comment on this. He said, fans and media need to chill about all the lucky bounces and poor play for 40 minutes. If the score was flipped there, there isn't a chance that he'll be, he would be congratulating them on 40 minutes of okay play. Which... Yep. Basically what Harmon said in the opening segment. Right. Yeah. But also too, like, it's not just fans and media who are saying this we heard rick talkett say that we heard jt miller talk about it ian cole like you can't and and the canucks probably got lucky last night because the Sens couldn't get a save if that's against a better team and they jump up to that lead like a colorado or a vegas or you know a team that has good structure but also high potent offense like that's where you really start to get into trouble and i think that's where the you know hesitation or um issues that that talk it and some of the players have is like you know they for 
they got a little lucky there because of their opponent. But also, I'd argue that when you're playing in LA or like I really felt this in the Dallas game, players get up differently for those games. Mm-hmm. I'm telling yeah. you that you could just I remember being on the road head of that Dallas ahead uh, of that Dallas game and guys are talking about it. Biggest game of the year and and all this um, that you're overhearing it, it. You could just see a different level of focus, preparation and intensity. And you know that even in a game like that, if they were to go up five, nothing against Vegas or, or Dallas, they're not going to sit back on their heels quite as much as they would against Ottawa. Yeah. And you know, it's the case because I remember in previous seasons when the Canucks were terrible, you would see, you'd watch games and you could tell a, a team like Boston, for instance, would come to town. I, I could think of like one or two games that come to mind and they'd be in cruise control for most of the game. They wouldn't really be playing that well. It would look like, oh, the Canucks are close. And then for like 10 minutes, they'd turn it on and just put yeah. the game put the game to bed. And you could tell that, okay, like, you know, this team wasn't really taking the Canucks. It's not that they were taking them lightly, but they they knew that they didn't have to exert 110% for like a full, like for the entire duration of the game, which let's be clear too. the Canucks exerted 110% in that first period to go up five, nothing The level of puck pursuit that they had the hustle before checking. Yeah. It's everything they lacked against Philly. And then sure. Okay. When you go up five, nothing. Yeah. Would would you like to be a little bit, um, a little bit tighter clamp down a little bit more sure, but I see the same thing from other top teams in the NHL. Corey Anderson said this, people forget there are other pro athletes on the other side who will make yeah. plays as well. You aren't going to dominate a team for all 60 minutes. And that's goes back to what, uh, as Jesse C called it, coach brain quads. Uh, <laughs> what I threw out there about you, what are you doing in those minutes where you're not dominating? Right. And hockey's a sport where you have to simultaneously play offense and defense. It's not like it's baseball where you're in the field and then you go up to bat. Like that's what makes it such a challenging game, especially with teams that can transition the puck. Well, like we saw with Ottawa last night on, on the goals they scored, is that off off the rush, like they're dangerous, right? Couple so. couple good good comments here from Logan Van Dyke that I wanted to get to, regular listener of ours. He said, I, I had quads at minus 130 to mention baseball by now, but I didn't hit on my bet. Grady brought up baseball oh. before I did. Uh, and then Jeremy Lee said, in Granlin's defense, he was good against the Canucks. Michael Granlin, who we threw a lot of shade at. And then Logan Van Dyke said, so he'd actually look good at the All-Star game if five Canucks were going. <laughs> Great comment. Great comment, Logan. Thank you. Uh, Jeremy Lee, thank you as well uh, for your guys' comments. And, of course, Corey, who I brought up as well. And Sterling Wilson, also a regular listener, said, I'm about a six-minute player in beer league, <laughs> which is a great comment as well. People bring in the heat in the chat today. Uh, okay, this is one we'll get to from Kelowna Canuck. Hey guys, listen for years. First time watching on YouTube, Kelowna Canuck. Thanks for tuning in. Quick question. With so many teams needing help in goal, what would Casey DeSmith's trade value be? Could he help us acquire a top six winger? No. No. And I'm also going to keep no. him anyway. Like the the trade, the, the benefit of what you're going to get in a trade isn't worth breaking up that tandem. And now all of a sure. sudden you're scrambling at the backup uh, position. You don't have a great alternative option. And I'll say this, the goalie market as a whole, I think teams are realizing that unless you have a clear cut upper echelon starter, it's it's almost random the way goalies can totally absolutely perform. Like yep. look like Sam Sonov was a really good starter in the regular season last season. Now he's in the AHL. 
Vanacek was a perfectly competent starter last season, it looked like New Jersey had at least temporarily solved its goaltending problems. Now he's been disastrous and, and Devils have goalie problems again. Friedman had the report. I think it was the most recent Hockey Night in Canada. might have been two weeks ago. But he had the report talking about the teams that are looking for goaltenders. Like, we know there are a few teams around the league looking for goaltenders. And basically his report was that the teams that have the goaltenders know that they have something that other teams want. And the prices have been absolutely ridiculous um, from everything that we've heard. Like we know UC Soros is a name that gets thrown around a lot, especially over in Edmonton. What's UC Soros going to cost you to go out and acquire, right? And look, I know Casey Smith isn't quite at UC Soros level uh, historically, but you'd have to also think that the price that the Canucks would be asking for for Casey Smith is probably high because of what you just mentioned as well, that they probably don't want to lose Casey to Smith. Like they, they want to keep Casey to Smith. They want to keep that tandem in, in check. And Hey, like, like we've talked about it for years. What happens if you get to the playoffs and you lose Thatcher Damco knock on wood, right? Like what happens then you want to have somebody who's a pretty competent backup ready to go. And Hey, no shade at Archer Seelovs, but he's definitely benefiting from another year down in the AHL. So I don't know. I just, yeah, I, I agree with you, Harmon. I don't think there's going to be a trade there. And even before the playoffs, like you need Demko rested down the stretch run here where you're getting a tougher schedule. And they finally have, you know, a good, solid starter goaltender, one of the best, I think, in the league. I don't know why you'd want to break that up. I'd be more intrigued. I wonder, would they look at dangling a guy like Shilovs just because they have Tolapilo coming up and... Ooh. Demko's your guy going for now. I know he's got only a couple of years left, but you can kind of find those backups to replace. It all depends, obviously, on the trade, what, what's coming back. But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get out of that Ian Clark contract <laughs> and you want him to quit, trade well, our when do prospects carry a lot of trade value? Right. That's That's we saw with DiPietro, right? Like, there's, yeah. there's nothing really there. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one from Jesse C. Dollars-wise, Garland basically is the top six forward the Canucks need for PD. He just doesn't fit. So he's moved to strengthen the third line, and now one top six spot has to be cheap. That was the question from Jesse Z that I don't think I fully understand the way I read it. I think he's trying to say that because you have a $5 million player on your third line, that to compensate, like, his point being that you don't usually have a $5 million player on your third line that do you then need a player that's under 5 million on like to fill in that final top six spot you're looking for. Yes. Okay. And I mean, we've talked about Garland, how he makes it okay to have a Teddy Bluger and Dakota Joshua who are cheaper players and you know how he's carrying up that third line and building them up. Which... Yeah. Like that's, that's a great point is you're then able to turn Bluger and Joshua, who, who make peanuts into legit third-line players. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I wonder I wonder what this team's going to do at the deadline. I'm very curious. We'll see uh, as we approach. The March 8th NHL trade deadline, which falls on a Friday. No clue what we're going to do with the show that day, but we will figure it out, I'm sure. Okay, let's get to Betway, and let's get out of here. Did I even put one in? Great, I didn't put one in. Nope. I'm going to do one off the top of my head. I'm gonna, I, I literally am on Betway. And uh, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you a real good one tonight. And yeah, I think you guys might be able to guess. Have you guys looked at who's playing in the NHL tonight? Well, have you seen the goalie battles? That are my wagon here? ducks. That's right, Armin. Okay. Uh, that's my bet of the day. 
Uh, my Betway bet of the day is my Wagon Anaheim Ducks. To defend the pond against the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, a $10 bet at plus 170 odds. I thought they'd be a little higher. <laughs> plus 170 odds. Nah, uh, back to back. Returns you $27 over on Betway. Must be 19 plus play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. And hey, in all seriousness, it'd be a very Toronto thing to lose to the Anaheim Ducks. Well, look at some of the teams they've lost to this year. That's right. right? Ottawa, Columbus. Yeah. They get in those track meet games and they just implode. And yeah. that's why Ilya Samsonov's not in the NHL anymore. Yeah. And my boy Lucas Dostal is starting tonight. Uh, I like Dostal. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Have you seen the goalie matchup in the Devils and Caps game quads? Uh, Nico Dawes versus um, Hunter Shepard. Who the hell is Hunter Shepard? Yeah, exactly. He was great in the AHL last year. Yeah. But why is Clay Stevenson not up, Harmon? Explain that one to me. Uh, because didn't Hershey win the Calder Cup last year? Yeah, off the yeah. back of Clay Stevenson. Oh, I didn't. Uh, Against Coachella Valley. My bad. I figured, I figured uh, Shepard had played a lot in that playoff. Oh, he did. I was just messing with you. Oh. Damn it, quads. <laughs> I was like, man. Yeah, like, I don't think Clay started a game in the playoffs. Right. I was like, I swear I thought yeah, Shepard was the Shepherd, one that guided them to it. Hunter Shepard like, made 20 yeah, starts. Down on it yeah, Hunter Shepard made 20 starts in that playoff run. And, and he said it so zero. confidently to me. He made <laughs> yeah. me immediately feel like an idiot. I'm like, oh, damn. And Learn then, about your Hershey goaltender, Sharp. And then in that Ducks-Leafs game, Dennis Hildeby making his Leafs debut. Clay's got a 937 save percentage through 16 starts in the AHL. You cannot tell me he doesn't deserve a shot in the NHL. Sure. I don't know. That's that's We're... that's one percentage point better than his 936 save percentage with the Coquitlam Express in 2019-20. Oh, no. oh, no. When he BCHL. won the BCHL MVP. Here we go. I just turned off his mic there. When he won the BCHL MVP award, best goalie, best player in the entire league, he's got a better save percentage in the AHL than he did back then. Anyways, I'm just saying. If quads can't get in baseball into the show, he gets into BCHL. I get Clay Stevenson. I'm giving you a 10-minute... Or the 10 10 minutes. Warning. Now we'll close it up there. I'm going to turn your mic off again. (laughs) I should take that advice from my own mic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll close it out there. Um, did you guys have any parting thoughts, final thoughts on this Wednesday episode of the show? Yeah, you talk too much baseball in BCHL. <laughs> I said the word baseball. I didn't even bring it up. Anyways, all right, we'll close it out. <clears throat> for my co-host, Harmon Dial, our technical producer, Grace Sass, my name is Dave Jolly. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your favorite podcast catcher app.